Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the premiere episode of The Tom Green Interview. I'm Tom Green. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Um, This is exciting. I want to thank Audio Up for the opportunity. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. My new podcast. I've done podcasts before, but if this is your first time listening to my podcast, welcome. Uh, If you've been here in the past, uh, you may have come from uh, various places that I've done shows over the years. MTV, I had a show in 1999 and 2000, and it ran for a few years after that. Um, I did WebOvision, of course, which was my uh, home internet streaming podcast before they were called Podcast Podcast back in the early 2000s, where we built a uh, ridiculous television studio in my living room here in Los Angeles, and I interviewed all my friends and and, and made many new friends and had tons of the uh, top comedians in Los Angeles would pop by and, and do the show. And it really was one of the truly most creative and exciting experiences I've had since, since starting the Tom Green Show back in the day on public access TV in Canada. Because it was, it was, it was raw, people were authentic, uh, it was in my home. And it was before anybody was doing shows from their home. Uh, And it was really interesting to see people come up to the podcast. I'll call it a podcast now, but it was a, a, a streaming internet show. And look around and see the cameras and see the microphones and see the desk. And I'd built a little Johnny Carson Tonight Show type set in my living room. And... I I remember seeing people's wheels turning, as mine were at the same time, thinking, wow, yeah, we could do a show in our house and just talk to our friends. And we did hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of shows from my living room for a five-year period. The last decade or so, I've been touring the world doing stand-up, and I've really fallen in love with stand-up comedy and that's what excites me so much about today's show where i'm thrilled and honored to have one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time one of the biggest television stars of all time from everybody loves raymond ray romano how cool is that we're going to talk to ray uh, and really get into dissecting how stand-up comedy works how the writing process works, and uh, and have a really great conversation with him. I do want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in my life personally before we speak to Ray. I'm about to take off in a van, and when I say take off in a van, I mean move into a van. I'm days away from this. By the time you hear this episode, I may actually be on the road. Uh, I'm, I'm attempting to 
give you these weekly podcasts, these weekly episodes of the Tom Green interview uh, in close to real time. So episode two, uh, it's quite likely, will be recorded from the van. That's right, I'm bringing a studio with me, a state-of-the-art studio. In fact, this studio that I'm talking in right now in my living room or my my I guess my guest room you would call it in Los Angeles in my home in Los Angeles where I did the Webovision show back in the day um, this studio will be coming in the van with me I've created a compact road case type of carrying device that will allow me to pick up the studio move it into the van Uh, I'm bringing my microphones, I'm bringing some musical equipment as well, and I'm bringing some cameras, and you'll be able to follow along on my social media uh, as well as here on the Tom Green interview. So follow me on Instagram at Tom Green or on Twitter at Tom Green Live or on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Tom Green, where I'm going to be documenting the behind the scenes of this podcast and showing you how it's all put together and taking you all to some amazing and beautiful places in America as I travel around this country in 2020 during this strange and bizarre year. I don't want to talk about that too much right now, though. I want to jump into this interview and this conversation I have with the great Ray Romano. Thank you for listening to the Tom Green interview and tell your friends about it. Tell your friends to subscribe and uh, share this on social media. I appreciate it. Here's Ray. Hello, Ray. Hey, how are you? Oh, good. How you doing, Ray? Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. This is, uh, I'm excited about this. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Don't be too excited. <laughs> lower, lower your expectations. <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I'm sure this, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll do great, Ray. I'm sure you're going to be great. Um, okay. I, I don't know if anyone told you, but this is the first episode of my new podcast, uh, the Tom Green interview, it's called, and, uh, we're launching it, uh, La- launching it now with you, so I appreciate you uh, doing doing me the honor uh, of being my first guest. I didn't know I was the first one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. I've, I've done podcasts before, but this is a new one I'm doing with uh, this great podcast company called Audio Up, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, do a, a great new show called the Tom Green Interview, where I interview people like yourself, amazing, incredible comedians like yourself. Um, I, I want to I want to talk a little a lot about stand up uh, in this show. Uh, all right. Do you do you remember? First of all, I, I was just watching your first appearance on Johnny Carson, and um, the thing the thing that really popped out for me was how prophetic your first joke was about <laughs> about <laughs> cell phones. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Uh, you you, yeah, you, you open crazy. up the you open up the the show and you talk about how everyone's getting these phones in their cars and someday they're probably going to even have a phone in their ear and you know we do have that now and it was yeah. it was a great bit but I mean did, did yeah. you, do you feel that you were sort of yeah. you know are comedians prophetic like that do you sort of see the future before it comes uh, <laughs> uh, they might be but comedians might be but I'm not I'm definitely not. Um, by the way, I also predicted a, uh, in that bit a fax coming out of your ass. Right, so right. That, that, that hasn't happened. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> um, but it is. Well, it is kind of yes. I, it's funny because I I have on occasion looked back at that at that set and I laugh at 
you know, I, I, since I think I remember saying, uh, my wife wants a car for like, well, what do we need that for? You know, I, 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 <laughs> and I, I think at that time I probably did not have a car. That was 91. Yeah. That was, that, that was uh, November 15th, 1991. I, I, of course I remember that date, but, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you know, comedians are prophetic, you know, uh, I mean, so, uh, every comedian, you know, has their own thing. They, 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 they talk about current events, future events, or, or they do whatever fits them. And for me, it's always been talking about what's going on in my life. You know, I mean, it's just, I'm, I guess if you had a label that's observational, um, observational family, you know, personal stuff, when, um, when you when you look at well, I want to talk about that in detail in a minute, but just a bit more about Carson. When you look at that set, yeah. you said you looked at that recently. When you look at that, what goes through your mind when you go back to that day in 1991 when you did your first appearance on Johnny Carson? I mean, it's a bit, you know, it's it's a bit emotional to watch it, um, just because. Well, first of all, Johnny was retiring. Uh, he retired, I think, like about five months later. Um, and we kind of knew that. And he was, you know, I grew up watching him. And as a comedian, you knew you knew that was the, the pinnacle. That was it, to be on Johnny. And just the fact that I was getting this chance to, to reach this dream, um... And now, you know, now that I've been through everything and I've I've had this career, I guess, um, just to look back kind of where it all started and, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but to how innocent I, I was then and, and, you know, what a big moment that was for me. Um, yeah, it makes me emotional. I remember I, I, um, I uh, that afternoon... I, I I was in the hotel, so I was living in New York. So we were in the hotel, and the limo was going to come in about an hour to pick me up to take me to the Tonight Show. Yeah. And so I, w- I went in the shower, and I remember I just remember saying, oh, "This is the shower I'm taking to, to do the Tonight Show." <laughs> and yeah. And I, and I and I literally got numb. Uh huh. Like my aunt, my. I, I, I for for a second, like I couldn't feel my arm in the shower. You know, and I was like. Mm. This is this is bad. You know, it was still like two hours away. I'm like, I'm not going to make this, man. <laughs> um, and and I remember what saved me was we got in the car, me and my manager, and we got in the car and we drove. And I left like I had a, I had a bunch of notes about. I mean, I knew my set, but I still wrote stuff down and the order down and everything. And I left it in the hotel room. So I had him stop the limo, and and I ran back about a block and a half to the hotel to get it. And I ran back, and just that physical thing, well, I, you know, it was just quint- I just got lucky that I had to get out and run for a block and a half because that somehow that just calmed me down. I'm mean, uh-huh. still a nervous wreck. Yeah, I still a nervous wreck, but I but I wasn't gonna faint anymore. Because you, know? you get that, because, uh, that 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 nervous energy. I get that. Uh, I know that feeling, and uh, and and you'd sometimes you know taken a little run inadvertently yeah. that just kind of alleviated yeah. it a bit. I don't yeah, think people. Exactly. There's nothing really to compare that to today, is there? I mean, people. 
Young people today might not quite understand what it meant to do yeah. Johnny Carson's yeah. Tonight Show for a comedian. It was it. it yeah, but it, even it, it, listen, it was the biggest thing in the world for me. But even by the time I did it in '91, it wasn't the same as doing it in 1981. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know when 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 somebody went on the Tonight Show. I mean, shit. It, we're going now. We're going way back. He was on for thirty-five years, right? Mm-hmm. So when somebody went went on in the seventies, their their career changed overnight. You know, um, it, it wasn't quite the same in the nineties. You know, it was nineteen ninety-one, but it was still the just it it was still the stamp. You know, the validation stamp that you were on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Back in the seventies, you did the Tonight Show, and the next day you were making probably five times as much money uh, touring as a comedian as you were than before you did it. It wasn't quite the same in 91, but it was still, it still kind of puts you on the map, um, you know, to have it as a credit. Um, and it was still, uh, personally for a comedian, it still meant the same, you know, it, but there was so much comedy on TV at that time in the nine, you know, back in the nineties, but, but just to be able to have, have made it and gotten to do, Carson before the cutoff before he retired you know oh, if, yeah. if it had been a year later you would have never gotten to do that so that that must be just a great feeling I noticed he was promoting yeah. your upcoming show at Bananas as well How, did you did you sell out that show <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably sold out the early show yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah now now is that for real is that for real is that the, yeah that was for real a- absolutely when he introduces you he's promoting your upcoming show at Bananas uh, I think I think it was in Poughkeepsie or something like that. I yeah. remember bananas. Yeah, I remember that one. So, yeah. so you you were on the you, you you're on the road. You're doing shows. You you get Carson. Going back to the first time you got on stage, though, what was that like? I mean, what what made you decide you just wanted to do stand up in the first place? Well, I was always a fan. I was a fan of stand up. Um, you know, when when a comedian was on the on Carson, I would make sure I was in the room watching. Um, and I was a fan of comedy and we had a comedy troupe in, in my neighborhood in Forest Hills, Queens. This is now during, you know, Saturday Night Live had just started and we decided to put on our sketch show. So it was me and five other guys and we called ourselves, uh, we said we'll put on a, a no talent show. You know, we, we were being, we thought we were clever, yeah. Um, and we called ourselves No Talent Incorporated, uh-huh. and we wrote our sketches. We did everything. We we were the costume. We were the prop guy. We were everything. And the the church, the, the neighborhood had a uh, like a teen club every Sunday night that teenagers could go into the basement of the church and play ping pong and hockey, you know, whatever. And they had a stage there. And we decided, yeah, we're going to put on a sketch show. And that's that was my kind of intro to doing any kind of live comedy. And it went pretty good, actually. We would do parodies of guys in the neighborhood. And all the kids, all the teenagers came in. It was a tough crowd, but but um, they were laughing at themselves, really. <laughs> um, but that, that kind of got me to bug, you know, of, of getting laughs on stage. Uh and then um, I had heard about audition night. I was working in at a gas station at the time in, in Forest Hills, and I had heard about uh, somebody had been to an audition night at the Improv. Yeah, 
And, and I said, oh, what's that like? You know, whatever. And because I had never ventured into Manhattan to go to a comedy club. Right. Um, and so I called up the improv and they told me yeah, it's the first Sunday of every month. They have one Sunday a month. And, you know, you pick a number out of a hat. You go down on, a, on the Sunday afternoon and if there's, they give out 20 spots. So if there's 40 people there on Sunday afternoon to to try to get a spot, they, they stick 40 pieces of paper in a hat, 20 of them have numbers, 20 of them are blank. You pull, you pull one out of a hat. If you get a number, you go on that night. And I, I remember this, how, well, how much you need, how much time do you, you got to be on stage? And it's five minutes. And, you know, so the first Monday of, of the month was going to be like two and a half weeks from now. So I just had two and a half weeks to, to get five minutes of stuff to say on stage. Yeah. And I did it and it was horrible. <laughs> it, it wasn't, by the way, it wasn't, it actually went pretty good. Yeah. It actually went pretty, because what, what tends to happen is, I mean, I don't know how it is now, but they're very generous, those audiences, because they know it's audition night. Right. They, you know, normally they're there probably to see another auditioner. So they, 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 they're pulling for you. So you, you get a, a weird kind of curve on your grade. They, they mm. kind of give you a little more. So it's, they're laughing more than it really is that funny, you know, uh, so, somewhat. But I, I remember having, I had a tape of it and it's her, some of the material is just horrendous, <laughs> but it, but it, but it was not bad. They laughed at some of the stuff, you know? So I did get a little taste of, of, of getting laughs as a standup. I thought, oh man, this is pretty good. I'm, I must be pretty good at this. And this is a story you hear a lot. Um, a lot of guys do have that first night yeah. success, and then, and then they find out how wrong they were. I, you know? I, I had that when I was 16 years old. I tried doing stand-up for the first time, and I ended up. We, they called it amateur night at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa. Yeah. And I had a great yeah. first night, and then the next, you know, the next year I bombed every time. But, uh, but yeah. I, I kind of sometimes. Do you feel like maybe it's because you're naive <clears throat> to the fact? that it could go badly. You know, you have enough confidence to think that, Oh, th I'm funny. This is going to go great. So that first night you just feel like you can do yeah. no wrong. And then, and then, then, and, then you and start then, to, but yeah. then if you do well on that first night, then you really feel on the second night, uh -huh. you feel even more invincible on the second night. Uh -huh. And that's, and then when you bomb then it's even a bigger letdown. Yes. You know? Yes. That's what happened and to I me. And I gave it up. I gave it up for two years. I remember. Oh, really? I once I, yeah, yeah. I, I had two, I had two runs at it. I, I had a run. I, I tried it and I, and I guess I did it on my second time I bombed. And I think that's when I, I gave it up for two years. I might have tried it a third time. I'm not sure. Wow. Uh, but, wow. And I gave it for two years. And then I tried it again and, and gave it up for another year. Wow. And it was the third. It was my third attempt when I said, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick. You know, I, I mean, each attempt I had done it like, like the first time I did it two times, three times. The second time I did it maybe five or six times. And then the third attempt a year later, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a month, two months, whatever. Let me see, you know. And, uh, you know, luckily it stuck. And when it stuck, when it connected, when you found that rhythm, do you remember what it was that 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 triggered in, in, your, in your head? Like, was it material? Was it comfortability on stage? What Was there just something that happened that you said, oh, that's, that's what I need to do? 
Well, it's 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 so gradual, but yeah. Um, it but uh, you keep. What I learned was you you keep getting better. Um, like the, the, I remember being um, maybe two years in, and I hear I heard Jay Leno say in an interview that it takes you six years until you really find your voice on stage. And, uh-huh. I, was, and I was and I was doing it for two years, and I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" <laughs> you know, because and and then later in hindsight, when I looked back, like at six seven years, when I looked back at my like the tapes I had of two years, I was like, he, he was so right. You know, you just, you just keep, yeah, you, I mean, it sounds corny, but you find out your voice, you find who you are and what, and what, you know, I didn't choose what to do on stage. I just, I just wrote about what was, what just appealed to me and what came to me. I didn't choose. I didn't say, let me write some political stuff. Let me write some family stuff. I just, you know, I, I listen. I grew up watching. Um, I mean, he, he's not the guy I want to bring up, but I grew up watching, uh, listening to Bill Cosby. You know, right? Sure. Um, and 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 that kind of uh, family material is what appealed to me. Um, uh, and I didn't choose to, to 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 write that material. It just was in my, you know, it was in my gene. It was in my wheelhouse of of finding the funny. That's where I could find the funny. Um, but it took a while, you know, it took a while to, to, to figure out a, what, what you're, what you're good at and B what the audience kind of, uh, um, you know, it's funny because whenever I come up with a bit now, that's kind of dark and dirty, but it's hysterical. <laughs> and I kind of try to squeeze it in on stage, you know? Yeah. Uh, they, I can just tell, like, I, I can get away with it, you know, one, two, three times, but then I can just feel like, no, I gotta, I, I gotta give it to Dave Attell. <laughs> <laughs> People just aren't expecting that from you or, or, or what I is mean, it? it just, it just, it just sets them off. I had a bit once, um, um, can we, can we, can we, Oh yeah. Uh, is it? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like me asking, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, I had a bit once where I was doing about my father driving in the car and I, and I, and, and how everybody, when he got pissed off, everyone on the road became a hump to him. <laughs> everyone he would yell at, you know, look at this hump here, whatever. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I did impressions of my father. I, um, look at his hump trying to squeeze in on me, you know, and, uh, whatever went on and on. Uh-huh. And then he, and then he starts yelling at me in the back seat. Um, and you, uh, Mr. Philosophy major, you know, Mr. $10,000 of my life. Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, <laughs> let me tell you something. You're here because. 20 years ago, your mother wouldn't give me a blow job like I asked for. Okay. <laughs> right, right. So, right. So I did, so I, I used to do that. I did it a lot. I did that bit a lot. Yeah. And, and it would kill. It would, it would whatever. It's not, you know, it's not brilliant, but whatever. <laughs> um, and one day, you know, do you know Bill Grunfest is? Uh-huh. Grunfest was, he started the, the comedy cellar. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And, and he used to run the show and MC and, 
And one night he called me over and he said, listen, I, I don't like to do this with any comedian, but he said, the bit you do about, uh, you know, your blowjob like this or whatever, he said, uh, you know, you, then you get some laughs, but, uh, but I feel half the audience kind of move away from you for a little bit. Uh-huh. And then you get them back. You always get them back. They always come back to you, you know? Uh-huh. But I feel they just move away. And I thought, for a second, I thought, you know, I, I think he's, he's, he's looking at, he's reading into it too much. He's looking, I don't think, I don't think I'm seeing that. I'm feeling that. And of course, once he put it in my head, yeah. I, I, I was more aware of it. And he was kind of right. He was right. It was just, so it was like that. That's the, that's what I get, you know, from, from the audience. They, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't hit you or whatever. You can just, you can just feel when they, they're not ready for that from you. Now, having said that, I, I'm not going to let them write my material. You know, you know, when, when I do my acting now, like when I go to Vegas, I work with you know, me and Spade do Vegas together. Well, not anymore, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm, that I'm, comes I'm, back I'm, soon. Yeah. Jeez. I know. I know. But I'm saying, you know, I, I'm, People who are expecting the guy from TV, they're not going to get that either. You know, uh, um, I'm 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 bluer and, and, and edgier than the guy they know from the TV show, and, and I'm not going to let them, you know, uh, uh, dictate that I can't do that material. But I I kind of I kind of have a a, a a a limit to where I can go with the audience. You sort and, yeah, go ahead. I could push it if I wanted to, yeah. but you know, it, it's not necessary, really. You sort of feel that, like, describe. I think you're describing like the energy of the room, right? Do you sort of feel the energy shift? Uh, is 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 like I, I, I'm 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 yeah. And as you're writing a set, a routine, uh, an hour uh, of, do you kind of shuffle the jokes around and delete and edit and, and, and is that based on the energy or just the feeling of how hard they laughed or, or how do you, how do you sense that? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always, uh, look, first of all, if you're doing an hour, uh, the energy is going to go up and down, you know, as you go. I mean, you're never going to be at, at a, 10 out of 10 for an hour straight, you've, you've got to, they've got to come down a little bit anyway. You know, you, you it, it, it's like you're running a, a, a you know, you got to kind of pace a little bit. So you got to, um, you got to let them breathe a little bit and come down a little. And, uh, so, so there's different bits that I know, you know, are strong and, and kill and, and, and I want a few of those. I want a few of those at some, one part of the show, and a few of those at another part of the show. Um, but when I'm kind of developing in my my act and 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 new stuff and all that, uh, it is funny how the, the audience will will tell you, you know. But but it takes a while. You've got to you've got to you've got to do a bit you know, I don't know, 20 times maybe until you can get a good read on it until you can, you know, cause you, you're going to have different audiences, but so you, you're going to have to try it one night with an audience and it may, it may bomb, but you may really have faith in it. And I, I know it's, I know it's good. I just got to tweak a couple of things and you try it again. And, and there may be times where you just, 
you just find the right way in. You know, I, I've done I've done bits, and I've been trying them and trying and trying, and then it'll just hit me. The, this is the angle to take, mm-hmm. and I just tweak I tweak the way in or the setup or whatever, mm-hmm. and it makes all the difference in the world. You know, um, but it's all trial and error. It's all trial and error. That's that was the good thing about. You know, back in the day, eight months ago, when when comedy clubs existed and they could go to the comedy cellar every night and do three shows a night, you could tell on a, you could you could start a new bit on a Monday and by Saturday I could tell whether it, it had a life or not because I I've, I've been up in front of fifteen audiences already with it. You know, I think people that don't you know most people don't do stand up people who are listening who haven't actually done this probably don't understand that you're really kind of just editing just words and pacing and uh, and and like you yeah. said the setup and on that it's very microscopic isn't it every little detail yeah. is that is that a yeah. is that fun process for you or is that is that is that you know like uh, it is it <laughs> is fun it's 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 you know I don't want to get too highfalutin about it or too precious with it, but but it, it's it's like music. It's a bit like music. Uh-huh. You, you know, you know, it's it's one wrong little note, one and you can and it clunks. And the same with words, with wording, and 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 also pacing and and the gap you put between one word or the next. Yeah, um, it is it is a bit. Very minute and 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 detailed, um, but so, sort of like jazz, know. like jazz. You say yeah. it's about the spaces yeah. between the notes. It's like the words exactly. are like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the and the volume and the way you push it and you push it a little less and, uh, but uh, but you don't you don't write it that way. You know, you write you write the bit. The thought comes in your head, and oh, that could be funny. Oh, that's a funny premise. And then I put it down, and then okay, how do I set it up? Okay, whatever. And and then you, I mean, the way I do it is, and then I take it on stage, and I don't have a word for word yet. I have it kind of broadly outlined, and then I take it on stage, and I'm so I'm 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 not winging it, but. I haven't really beat out every every word, and I just let it flow there, and you feel it, and you feel oh, oh that worked, oh that was a little clunky the the way I got into that or not of that, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you know after you've done it and you've been successful with it, then you know the audience has kind of helped you write every little beat and every and every little jazz every little moment every little pause you know because you've tried it you've tried it a, a bunch of times and you felt it you felt the rhythm you know they kind of they kind of help you write the rhythm of it um you know it's hard to write you can you can write bits in front of your mirror in front of your in your house and whatever but whenever i had to do like if they asked me to um like here, I'll give you an example. They, when when Obama was elected the first time, okay. Yes, those were the good, the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> ABC uh, 
uh, you know, he went to nine inaugural balls that night when, uh, and one of the balls was going to be on live uh, on ABC. And they, and so they asked me, would I come, would I do five minutes? You know, and you you go on, you know, Biden goes up, you know, Obama was stopping at all these different balls. You know, there were nine balls that night. So this was the ABC one. Yeah. So, so before, what, oh, what's going to happen is he's going to go on stage and then you're going to go up and do five minutes, whatever. I'm like, holy shit. Well, how do I say no? Of course uh-huh. I'm going to do it, uh-huh. you know, but now I got to write five minutes of, uh, you know, some material. Oh, George Bush is leaving the White House and blah, blah, blah. Uh, whatever. I had to write five minutes of that specific material. And I had to just trust it. I have to trust. I, I don't have an audience now to tell me that this, oh, this works, that works. You, you're going out on the limb there. You know? uh-huh. um, Haven't worked it out on the road for uh, six months and tried it over and over again. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. a new bit. Yeah. But the president's there. Yeah. So that's the scariest thing. Of the, that's the scariest thing in the world there. Um, and, I've, and just uh, to follow up on this story, it didn't go well. It didn't go that well. Um, they, there were a lot of elements. Uh, you know, for people were standing. Jay-Z and Beyonce were going on on a stage, like, to the side. And they right. were setting up at the time. Uh-huh. It, did, it did not go well. Oh. And, and I was a little crushed and... and this is a, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here. But no, it's this is great. A, this is a cool, a cool little thing was I, I had only met Gary Shandling once. And that was when my wife was turning 40. I, I wanted to get all these celebs saying happy, but I was giving her a surprise video and somebody connected me with Shandling and he did it for me and it was great. And he, we exchanged cell phone numbers. That's the only time I, I really had met him. Um, but we had our, each other's cell phones numbers for years now. This is about, this is about, Jesus, five years later, six years later. Um, I go back to the hotel room after kind of bombing in front of Obama's, you know, uh, <laughs> on Obama's night. Uh-huh. And, you know, my wife was there, we're in Washington and she doesn't know, you know, my wife's been through so much. She, she's like, it was fine, whatever. And I know it wasn't fine. Uh-huh. Um, and my cell phone rings, and it's Gary Shanling, and he's he, Gary Shanling just telling me he saw it. He goes, "Those were funny jokes, man. Those were really funny jokes." Right. And whatever. And he he, you know, he knew what I was going through uh-huh. as, as a comedian. He he knew, and he just had it in his heart that he wanted to tell me, you know, that you, you did fine. It was funny, and they were they were good bits. The, the circumstances were it was really bad. Um, but it was such a cool thing. You know, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just... You find yourself, you find yourself micro-analyzing it to, to the point that, that maybe you're seeing things that nobody else would have seen. But, but about, just speaking about Obama and, and, and just sort of the, you know, the gravitas of that. I mean, do you, get, do you ever get used to that? I mean, you're a, you, you were a stand-up comedian from Queens. You all of a sudden have this incredible, not all of a sudden, over years of touring and then you become this enormous right. success and this incredible success and uh, make one of the most successful sitcoms of all time um, and uh, now you're performing with the president of the United States do you, and, 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 and around every 
comedian and celebrity and Hollywood and the glamour of it all. Does that, does that, do you get used to that? Well, I mean, I don't know if what you're asking. Do I get nervous? Do I get nervous? Yeah. I if I get n- nervous, absolutely. Yeah. I, that, I, I was, I was terrified that night. Because yeah. It's, first of all, it's like I told you, this is not me doing tried and true proven material. This is me having to write material for this moment and knowing as a comedian, you know, you know, you're going to be up on a certain, this is not going to be a comedy club where people are sitting and focused and want you. And it turned out, yeah, these are people standing in tuxes with drinks and looking this way and looking that way. So there was no idea uh, of how that was going to go. Um, so I was, I, I still get nervous. There are still situations where I do get very nervous for, um, and that was one of them. Um, and, and yeah, the magnitude of it, you know, was blew my mind, you know, the, the magnitude of, of me being in this experience with, you know, Obama, when Obama is elected, which is, uh, you know, for, just for the country, for the world is a moment that's, uh, you know, um, I mean, to, to just to think that, and, 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 and it was the first year that my daughter could vote also. She had just turned 18. Um, so yeah, I mean, just to be a part of that, a part of that experience, um, it was, it's humbling. Yeah. Um, and then I got to perform at the Kennedy center honors for Letterman you know, they, Letterman was one of the people they were honoring, and Obama was in the audience. And, and that's a, yeah, that's another one where I've, I've been through so much in my career, and here I am, terrified. I'm terrified. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm going up in front of Letterman, my my hero. I'm going, you know, Obama's in the everybody's in the audience. I mean, I don't know if you have you been to the Kennedy Center. I, I have not, but uh, I, I've seen yeah. it on television. I have my David Letterman late show jacket hanging over my chair here, though. I do I do have that, and I keep that handy. Yeah. <laughs> he was my hero, too. Um, and uh, yeah. do, you, do, you, do you remember what that moment was like when you realized David Letterman was having you on and then wanting to produce uh, Everybody yeah. Loves Raymond? That, yeah, that-, that was freaky. That was a freak. I mean, look, after, after Carson Letterman was the guy and, and Letterman became, uh, you know, every comic, uh, want, that was the next goal was to be on Letterman. And, and that was a time in my career, I was about 11 years in doing stand up, and I was headlining, you know, I was headlining. I wasn't, I wasn't a, a road, a heavy road guy. I would stay in New York and go on the road a little bit. Um, and headline, but then I would just stay in the city. I was making a living. I had three kids. I had three little kids living in Queens with my wife. And I don't know, I guess I was making, probably making 80, 80 grand a year to a hundred grand a year doing stand up, which is, you know, that's, I'm, I'm a happy man. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing what I, I'm, I'm doing what I love to do. Uh, you know, I'm 30, I'm 36 now, and uh, comics were getting sitcom deals here and there, you know, uh, and they, people they were getting scooped up and getting development deals left and right, also, and and I wasn't, and I, I, so I wasn't 
disappointed. I wasn't uh, sad about where I was in my career, but I had, the only thing was, I was like, maybe that is not going to happen. Maybe that step, you know, the, the next step as far as that is not going to happen because I had been on every show. I'd been on all the, you know, the Tonight Show, the, the HBO Young Comedians, this and that. It, it wasn't like I didn't have the exposure. People, people saw me out there and no one was offering any deals. Um, and I said, all right, so maybe it's not going to happen. Um, and that's not the worst thing in the world. I'm still doing what I love to do. But in the back of your head, you're like, you know, uh, uh, I had been interested in acting. I had taken, I was taking acting classes. I did, did you know who Joanna Bexon was? No, she was a, no, I, she was an acting coach for who specifically worked with comedians. Oh, okay. And I took. I took acting class. If you've, if you've seen my work, you would know why I don't know who she is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah, I should have given you, I should have, yeah. Send me. Should, I'll give you a number. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I would, you know, yes. Did I, did I, I wasn't like Seinfeld who Seinfeld, who famously always said, just stand up is what he is, what he is, what he is. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.